You're listening to 247 Real Talk. This is your host, Julian Perry. Once again, I have another new episode for you. This evening, I'm speaking with the founder and CEO of Oso oh Safe, uh, an organization that empowers you to feel safe where you live, work, and play. My guest is also a TEDx speaker, domestic violence speaker, real estate agent, and consultant on promoting safety and preventing violence in the workplace, schools, and in the place of residence. I'll be right back with Sabrina Oso. Good evening, Sabrina. Welcome to 247 Real Talk. It is Wednesday, March 31st, shortly after 11 p.m. on the East Coast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So we're going to have a conversation this episode about something that has become, unfortunately, very prevalent in the news and as a reality in our lives, in our workplaces, in the homes, especially with the stresses of the COVID pandemic and the the being forced into quarantine and, and tight spaces without release. And um, before we get into that and, and uh, all the details that I'm sure my audience is very interested in, why don't you start off by giving us a little background on Sabrina Oso? Sure. Uh, again, thank you for having me, Julian. I greatly appreciate it. Um, I, I, I mean, it's taken a number of years of therapy uh, off and on to be open to say that I, I am a former victim of violence. My father beat my mother on a regular basis. Uh, my childhood was pretty uh, traumatic and chaotic and um so, I mean, that right there gives you a lot of experience in the subject, uh, a lot of um, insight on the subject. And uh, so I, I want to start off by saying that. Um, and I, I graduated college. You know, I, I did what I was supposed to do, quote unquote. Um, but my calling was uh, is still is dance. I, I am a dancer. Um, but I couldn't even think about dance growing up in, in my household. There was no one to take me. I couldn't even mention it. Uh, so it wasn't until I moved out at 21 years old that I started to dance. And I, I, I was just completely immersed and submerged in the dance world. I was heavily auditioning, taking 12 classes a week in New York City, um, it was very exciting. I, I, I shuffled between Broadway Dance Center Steps and Alvin Ailey. And um, I mean, I, I was uh, I was taking very, you know, heavy teachers, heavyweights in, in the dance world to kind of get me on the fast track to dance and uh, or to get to my goal. And finally, I wrote my one woman show. Um, after a lot of auditions and gigs and so on and so forth, I, I decided to just write my one woman show. And that show was called Home Sweet Home. And I wrote it, choreographed and performed in it. Um, and it's basically a one woman show where I play different women being abused. And then she goes to her good place. That's where the dancing comes in. But then she's pulled back into the terror of violence. Um, But the show ends really strong, really empowering. And I did a lot of research for that show uh, because I wanted it to be educational. And I could not believe the statistics that I was finding. Um, I I couldn't believe how prevalent it was. So I said to myself, I I need to make this into a business. I'm not a nonprofit. I'm not a charity. I am a bona fide business with products and services because I really want to, um, as we say at Oh So Safe, uh, victims don't need pity. They don't need handouts. What they need are solutions. They need resolutions. So, um, 
And Also oh Safe was born from really this one woman one woman show, essentially. Um, so I hope I answered your question. <laughs> yes, yes, that was a great introduction to <clears throat> not only you know Sabrina Oso, but your background and it's very interesting information. So let's dissect this a little bit. Let's start with what will we pick? Let's pick. Sure. Um, I'm not doing it in the order I read it, but let's start with the workplace and violence in the workplace. Um, and there's a reason that I'm starting there because I think my, I think I have a lot more uh, questions about other intense things and things that are going on right now in society. So let's deal with the workplace. Sure. Um, I designed uh, Also Safe based on three pillars, really, because if you think about it, when we're born, we go home, and then from there we go to school, and then from there we go to the workplace. I mean, and then we always come back to home, obviously, your place of residence. So, um, and those are the three places that we spend most of our time. And uh, and in the workplace, uh, I feel that the workplace violence, uh, school violence, public place violence, the root of it is in the home. So if we take care of it in the home, then our workplaces will become safe. Our schools will become safe. Our public places will become safe. Just to give you a bit of statistics in the workplace, there are about 2 million incidents of workplace violence that occurs each and every year in the United States. That comes out to be about 33,000 per week. And of those 17 result in a murder. Now, there are lawsuits that do that are involved in these incidents, and they're kind of shoved under the table, uh, kind of put what's the expression? Um, They're hidden because obviously companies don't want to be known as where as as the place that oh, so-and-so was hurt or so-and-so was killed. Um, so they're kind of um, on the hush-hush. However, uh, up to 70% of companies in the United States do not have a, a policy or education or a seminar that tackles or, or addresses workplace violence, domestic violence, I like to call it home violence because um, domestic violence has such a stigma that it is a woman's problem, and clearly it is not. And secondly, it assumes that all of the victims are female, and that's not true either. So I prefer to say home violence. Um, and, and again, this ties in with workplace violence. I mean, look at just at what happened in recently in Atlanta, the, the massage parlor. And then also in uh, Colorado, the grocery store, those are two workplaces. Um, yes, there were patrons that went, that got hurt, that got killed. But also those were two workplaces that now employees don't have a life to go to that workplace because they were shot and killed. So um and this is the the statistics that I just mentioned are just the ones that are documented. Uh, you know, there, there's there's other other happenings that don't get documented. So um, and I say this in my TEDx talk. So any of the statistics that I mention in this interview, in this podcast, keep in mind, those are just the ones that are documented. Um, so the and if you trace. Any shooter or any the the perpetrator, nine times out of ten, and I would say even maybe even as high as ten times out of ten, if you trace that person's the perpetrator's life, they have a history of violence. They are they are violent in their relationship. They are violent if they have children. They are violent. Um, they have a, a, a very volatile childhood background. So we needed to nip it in the bud back then. And now it's seeping into the workplace, into school shootings, into 
movie theater shootings, um, concert shootings. Okay, but let, let, let me pause ahead, you sure, for a sure. second here. Yeah, because I want to... I want to dwell on this for a little longer, and I want to separate it into pieces. What I mean by that sure. is workplace violence. Um, I'm looking at the, the instances that you, that you mentioned in two different ways. We have seen over the last, I don't know how long it is, or during this COVID period and over the last few months in New York, especially, both in your year and you're right across the border, the anti-Asian attacks, um, which, you know, I'm not going to get into the origin because, you know, that's a, a whole other podcast. But people have decided to take their anger out on um, Asians. They've decided to blame human beings for who, you know, who look like and have nothing to do with. Um, and, I'm, you know, we all have to assume that that. You know, all the rhetoric over time, they're, they're blaming these people for the pandemic itself. So I, I want to separate that because the one that you mentioned, the workplace where I think is the eight people whatever died, that was targeted, it seems like, uh, specifically uh, to deal with ethnicity and not, the, not like a lot of the other um, violent instances we see at workplaces, which, uh, again, I referenced previously in terms of someone losing their job and, you know, those kinds of things. And then I want to give you one more thing to come back and speak about, about, and that is, while it's on my mind, I think that the other issue I've seen in a lot of these shootings that have occurred, many of them in the workplaces, many of them in houses of worship, movie theaters, as you mentioned, the person has a mental history background and I can't help but think about one instance where I, I think it was a movie theater. It's been many years now. But I, it, what, what stuck in my mind was uh, when the police went to the, the perp's mother, she acted very calmly because she immediately knew why they were there because she was expecting this to happen at some point. And she spoke about how many times she tried to get help for her son and was turned away. So I've given you enough to go on there. Let me hear your thoughts. Sure. Um, regarding, like you said, COVID, uh, you were relating COVID with the uh, people blaming because it, that the COVID started in China and Asian Americans, just whether they were Korean, whether they were Japanese, whether they were Vietnamese, uh, Chinese, what, what have you. Uh, and and I, I understand. Um, however, the, even though um, it's still wrong, it's still an act of violence. It's still, uh, and you could envelope, violence is a pretty big spectrum. Uh, I'm, I'm finding the more that I do this work, it is a very big spectrum, and we divide it into three categories, basically verbal, physical, and sexual abuse. So these people that do that do these acts, these violent acts, um, yes, for example, in Georgia, like you said, you could take another podcast uh, episode uh, and and talk about that. Uh, but we feel that, and, and I, I train on this at Oso oh Safe. Violence is violence. Abuse is abuse. Um, it is extreme to go into a place and start shooting. Um, and I, I, I can, like I said, I, I, I can. I didn't go into the details of the of, of the shooter in. Uh, or shooters in, in Georgia. Um, I believe it was one individual in Georgia. Um, but like I said, they have a history of violence and it's kind of like, okay, they're going to pick this as, as a, as a way to express their anger or, but this is a, a very, I, I mean, they need help obviously, but I almost feel like it's almost too late to even get help at that point because 
the damage is so great. The the consequences are so great, and these families of these victims are going to feel this for the rest of their lives, because dead is dead. Once you're there's no turning back the clock on that. Um, so I, I would say. I hope I answered your question on that part of it as far as COVID blaming Asian Americans. Um, it's no excuse. And I'm not saying that you're giving them an excuse by any means, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so. Uh, no, I'm, I'm saying just I, to, just to clarify that point, I'm saying quite the contrary. Sure. I'm saying that I'm trying to get to, um, you know, sort of a year from your professional perspective, um, an explanation of the the human mechanism of these people who are you know the perpetrators for this this anger and violence against Asian Americans. I mean, apart from the fact that a, a layperson like myself, when it comes to this area, might say that it's it's just pure ignorance and stupidity and racism. Um, right. But it, from your perspective, in terms of uh, addressing the the inherent dynamic that allows them even to get to the point of, of acting on, you know, um, on those thoughts or that ignorance or whatever, you know, I'm assuming that some part of what you do or are trying to get to is to address that part of it, that, that part that even allows them to pull the trigger. Yes, yes. And yes, definitely. I'm glad you, you brought up the point, um, we, when we do our seminars, our workshops, speaking engagements, we make it a point, like I, and this is what I was trying to say, um, violence is a big spectrum. So, and in that umbrella, or I should, I should say under that umbrella is misogyny, racism, uh, xenophobia, homophobia, um, uh, all, all of these aspects, they're all, they're all categories of violence. Yes, you could call someone a, um, a label, a derogatory term. And so that's verbal abuse. Uh, oh, so-and-so is a X, Y, Z. Um, uh, I'm not sure if I could say it on your podcast, but I think you know what I'm trying to say. If they're gay, you'll say, the negative. If they're black, you'll say the negative. If they're Hispanic, you'll say the negative. If they're um, if they're a woman, you'll say the negative. So this is all under the umbrella of violence. So this is all verbal abuse, really. Uh, and there's degree degrees of it, but it's all under it falls under the category of abuse. So and we teach. Look, you cannot engage in this, especially if you have children, because your children will and you will will copy you and you do not want your children to act in this way, uh, speak in this way when they go to school, because in school they will learn differently. They will learn that misogyny is wrong and racism is wrong and homophobia is wrong. And uh, because these are all manifestations of abuse. Um, so I hope I answered your question. So it, it's, we, we do it, uh, we try to give a very broad overview, but to touch upon every point, because like I said, it's a big umbrella. It's a violence is a big umbrella, violence, abuse, chaos, dysfunction, um, where they're, they're taught, they are, it, it all goes back to, like you said, ignorance, um, miseducation uh you don't do it you don't do it especially pulling the trigger taking it that far um it, it's wrong saying it it's certainly wrong uh taking a weapon and going into some establishment and start shooting uh and and to answer your second part mental health uh like maybe they're mentally, like you said, yes, the, the shooter in the movie theater, I think it was Colorado. It, it, was it Spider-Man? I believe it was the Spider-Man movie that had come out. Yeah, uh, one of them. 
and uh, and his name escapes me now, um, I, but I believe it was on the West Coast. Uh, and uh, I mean, that's irrelevant, really. But um, yes, uh, and I, I do I do consult with therapists uh, my own. Um, I've been in and out of therapy for quite some time, uh, but also other therapists and counselors. There is a small percent where, yes, there are people that are born with mental mental deficiencies. Um, yes, however, it's a small percentage. Um, it, it really goes back to environment and how you're raised and. And I have researched this. I have uh, I have inquired about this because I try to give the most up to date and the most um, I want to give good information and correct information. So I do my best to to give the best information to my capability. And I feel like it's it's. Um, we can't give that as an excuse. Oh, well, he lost his mind or she lost her mind or they're mentally ill or it's an excuse uh, to, to a certain degree. Um, we, we cannot allow that to be, uh, what is it, your, your getaway card? And I'm not saying that you're, you're saying that. I'm just addressing it. Um, uh, it's, uh, there was a post by someone on Facebook about guns and, and, you know, the, the shooters and, and how the school shooting, how, how many have been happening. Um, and, and somebody made the post along the lines of there, there are women that are, that are mentally ill and really not the percentage of them taking a gun and starting a shooting spree is very small. And the point that the post was trying to make was it's not an excuse. It's, it's, uh, it's, um, yes, there are mentally ill people out there, but most of them will not resort to violence. Not, not, not to that degree where where it'll be a mass shooting. Um, I hope I answered your question. I hope I addressed the two points: COVID and um, and 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 mental health. Yes, yes, you did. Yes, um, I'm going to push it a little further, um, and there, sure. I, I do want to get to domestic because I think the domestic is a big issue we'll discuss too. But before we get there, you know what what stays on my mind in terms of violence, and this is a broad one, but when we talk about what maybe also SAFE uh, does to help address you know, some of this violence, what do you, or what is your approach to, when we talk about learned behavior, um, and you, you know, uh, most people who have not broken out of a mold and, and set their own path are a product of their environment. And, you know, the issue, the, the monkey in the room, so to speak, is what has transpired over the last few years and what is the uproar, not only in the United States, but around the world. And that is violence that results from racism. And I am sure that when you go various places to lecture or to give your seminars, that has to come up. If you've done it recently, oh, you know, by Zoom or however you've done it safely, it has to come up because what we're seeing, not just the the Asian American, which is, which I think is a, is is both ignorant, you know, it's a few things: it's ignorance, it's racism, and then it's it's the ignorance because they believe that something not that's not true in terms of you know, the pandemic. But we've seen it in other. Um, acts of violence that is that you know, and let's be honest and blunt about it because that's what 247 Real Talk is we've seen a lot of uh, blacks being subjected to um, violence we had um, and I forgot the name and I don't want to call it because I could be wrong but there was the gentleman 
It escapes me right now, but there's a gem that went into a church, a black church, a couple of years ago, and yeah. killed, I think, the pastor and several parishioners uh, who were black. This is something that has, you know, has been prevalent over the last few years across the United States. And it does, you know, it, it seems to be a very difficult situation when someone has grown up and, and um, matured learning that type of behavior. And then here is your effort to try to rehabilitate or to change them or to make a dent into who they've become. How do you address that? Yes. Um, no, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, we combine education and technology. A lot of it is education. Um, there is, it, it's point blank ignorance. And this is all learned. Babies are not violent. Uh, babies or even toddlers, or, uh, I would say the formative years, which are zero to six years old. Uh, but I'm talking about very early, like zero to two years old. Um, they are not, they, they'll play with everyone. They will not try to separate themselves unless a parent tells them to separate themselves from that black little boy or the black little girl or the white little boy or the white little girl or what have you it, it is all ignorance and the ed education has to start early and it has to be a practice this is not just one and done we we emphatically enforce at Oso oh safe that this has to be a daily practice in your household teach your children that there are many different races, many different re religions, nationalities, get them different dolls, not just white, get them a black doll, a, an Asian looking doll, a, a doll that is more on the heavier side versus a skinny side, the typical Barbie side, um, have diversity, accept people for who they are. Um, and this has to be an actual practice in everything that you do. Uh, I used to teach at a, uh, substitute, substitute teach at a, uh, uh, in my, in my district between a couple of schools and, and the school would enforce that everybody plays with everyone. Um, the books reflected that, the activities reflected that, the conversations reflected that. They did a good job describing uh, Martin Luther King, um, the significance of that, um, to encourage uh, African culture, um, African culture in the United States. I mean, I, w I have to say the school did a good job being very inclusive and making it um, a regular part of education. So, and from early on, I, because I, when I substitute taught, I was substitute teaching from pre-K all the way up to high school. So, and I would see this in the different classes. I would see this in the different um, age groups. And, and I feel like it's really important. And, and the thing is though, the thing is, what happens at school, what you're taught at school has to match what happens at home. Because if there's a mismatch where at home you're learning, well, my dad is a racist and my, my mother is a racist, or I have an uncle who can't stand uh, um, black people. Or, and then at school, they're learning, though, wait a minute. Uh, my family's racist. Uh, I, uh, at school, I, I have, uh, I'm interacting with everybody and, and, uh, I have my study buddy, my, my study buddy who's black or maybe, uh, you know, Arabic or, uh, and, and there's a, um, a disconnect. It has to match. 
So we make it a point at Oh So Safe to to say, look, misogyny, um, racism, uh, xenophobia, but let's get back to racism. It is a form of violence and you cannot engage in that. If you so much as think it, it is violent because thinking it will encourage verbal. It'll come out verbally. It'll come out physically. You, it may or may not happen, but you thinking that um, can lead to you acting out on it, especially if your friends, if your peers, if you have family members that are racist, you have to be the one to break the cycle. And that includes, this goes for dad beating up mom or mom beating up dad. Well, you got to break the cycle on racism. It's the same thing. There is no difference, really. Um, So it's education, but repeated education. It cannot be one and done. It has to be, it has to seep in, in your, all of your school subjects, everything that you do at home, how you interact with relatives how you are in conversation with your peers and you, and we make it a point where it's our, the education that we provide Julian is interactive. We do the education, but then we break off into groups and we, we say, okay, this is the scenario. What are you going to do in this scenario? And we bring up, okay, you're at a party, you're, and it's mixed. And you're with your friends that tend to be racist. And there are African-American people at this party and there's comments being made. What are you going to do? Are you going to just stand there and do nothing, say nothing? Or are you going to make it a point and say, look, I don't I you we know better. We have learned better. You know that this what what this can lead to. We learned it at Oso at Oso Safe. We need to put it into practice. Are you going to be a bystander or are you going to do the right thing? And, and, and this has to be repeated over and over again. So I hope I answered your question. Yes. So I want to, um, touch now on take another twist and consider, and I've heard a few instances, I don't know how true they are, but with, with the domestic violence that the country, at least I can't speak about the world, but the country, the United States is experiencing uh, or the increase in domestic violence um, as a result of the pandemic and people being quarantined and in close quarters for long periods of time. I've heard of people who never displayed the behavior that they're displaying now and um we will want to automatically attribute that to, you know, something mental that has pushed them beyond a certain point because maybe they were very outgoing and maybe they had a life, um, uh, many of us, most of us had a life that was quite different before the pandemic, but maybe they're dealing with the close quarters with someone that they, Maybe, maybe you know, we're able to deal with you know much better having space, and as human beings, I think that, you know we all need space. And then, on top of that, maybe they lost their job, or they have a business that's struggling, and they're trying to make ends meet, and they're feeling guilty. And uh, you know, I've heard all these stories. I've had discussions with people. So this is a little, a little bit about a little bit of a twist because we're talking about someone now who is never shown the inclination to be violent and and even after the pandemic started didn't until circumstances sort of pushed them past their breaking point which i think um inherently we all have what's your what's your take on that yes um with the pandemic uh it has domestic violence uh home violence has spiked globally uh in every single country around the world ever since it's been a year now a year and a couple of weeks now that we've been dealing with the pandemic uh so it has definitely spiked however 
the when people live with violence, um, it's there pre-pandemic. Um, you just had more places to escape to for a while before the pandemic. So, for example, the workplace, you would go to your workplace. So from eight to six or eight to five, you were there. And it's not that you forgot about it, um, but you were there and you were working. But I can tell you from personal experience, it never leaves your mind. Um, and a lot of uh, perpetrators, abusers will show up at their victim's job or or harass them nonstop via phone at their job to get them to lose focus. Um, if kids, kids, same thing, uh, they w- would be able to go to school physically and escape. I don't want to say escape, but they had a place to go from eight to three or um, eight to four or nine to four. So, and then they had their after school activities perhaps, or a job to go to till six, seven o'clock. And then by the time they got home, mm, but they would have to deal with the violence, abuse, chaos, dysfunction. So to say that the, and I'm not saying that you're saying this, but this is a general, this is, this is a general thinking pattern of people. If they, if, if they haven't experienced violence, people think that, oh yeah, the pandemic caused violence uh, that wasn't there before um, because people are living in close quarters and that may be the case. However, um, it was always there. It was always there. It's just that, yes, the, now the pandemic has magnified it has because you're, you're in close quarters and where, where are you going to go now? Um, the kitchen is the kitchen. Your bedroom is your bedroom. The living room is the living room and your bath is your bath. So if you're in a small apartment a small space, a studio apartment, and you're living with an abuser. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Where are you going to hide? And it was bad before it it was bad before, but you just had places to go. You could go maybe to the coffee shop, to school, to university, to the workplace, um, stretch it out. If you had basketball after school or soccer after school or dance after school or whatever it is, Um, and, but the pandemic has, um, has magnified it. Um, I have to say with, um, I'm glad that now therapy, whether it be online, whether it be over the phone or whether it be in person, I am, I am grateful that I'm seeing more and more advertisements for therapy um, where it's more accepted, it's encouraged. And with the pandemic, people are seeing, holy cow, I can't handle this. I, I can't handle this. I, I better get some help. I better at least consider help. And I heard that so-and-so was getting help. So if so, so-and-so, meaning a friend or maybe a distant relative is getting help, well, maybe I should get help. And also the advertisements of Michael Phelps and Demi Lovato encouraging people to get help to, uh, what is it, talk space and headspace. You could do it on your phone. You could do it over the phone. You could do it online. You could go in person practicing social distancing and wearing your mask. I am grateful that therapy is now not such a foreign entity and and people are less resistant towards it because the pandemic has made us um yeah more anxious more um people talk about uncertainty uh people are scared and i say in my seminars and workshops i say well welcome to the world of a victim because okay. if you weren't a victim before, 
now you getting you're getting a taste of how it feels like to be a victim because of the pandemic, you know. So I hope I answered your question. I hope I didn't go on off on a tangent. <laughs> no, but I have um before I sort of ask you to um summarize it for this episode, I have one other thought I wanna share. Um sure. and then get your opinion on it. So I believe that people have a ch- uh, make a choice in life and how they want to live. And I'm not saying that, don't get me wrong, circumstances, you know, many people are victims of their environment or, or products of the environment. But I also believe even the person who has grown up in the most peaceful and, and structured environment as a human being has made a clear choice to live a certain way. But as humans, I think... There, we. I think we all have the ability to to become violent if. What I want to say, if we have not learned how to control it and have not become someone that has self control, I think that all of the 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 characteristics that make a peaceful people and and angry people and violent people exist in every human being. I believe that. There, you can take a person who has lived 40, 50 years of their lives in peace and kindness and, and showing love and things occur in their life and then there is what we call a stressor. And that stressor is something that breaks them, that, takes every, that makes them no longer believe everything that they've believed for their entire life. And, and, and I say this because... I have, I have witnessed a few people who have gone from one extreme to the other, some of them even in their 60s. And you kind of sit there, you know, dumbfounded as to how, if, you know, is this the same person? Um, never shown any violence, you know, lived, had family, kids, perfect parent, perfect uh, spouse, partner. And then there's a stressor that, you know, maybe they've been, in order to be the calm and loving and kind person that they were, they have been working really hard on their own, in their own quiet space, suppressing things. And then the stressor happens and it all erupts. Um, and I say this only because I want to make sure that there's always a realistic message that the the things that you would would lecture about and would give seminars on, this has to be an ongoing effort in every human being day in and day out. It is, it is, it is something that I think human beings have to work at constantly and consistently in, in, in practicing the discipline that they've chosen, just like anything else that we choose to do in life. If we want to become a perfectionist that. As a mechanic, well, you know, most 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 really good mechanics live and breathe mechanics. If you want to become uh, a perfectionist in the way in, in a good way of life, we have to live and breathe a good way of life. So, um, not you know, not sure if you agree with me, but that was that was my perspective on it. Yes, no, uh, in fact, what you just said. Um it really echoes what I said earlier, that it has to be a practice, that something that you have to work on every single day. I know people that have, that have come from good families, um, that have come from nonviolence, and then they get involved with someone who is abusive. And you wonder what what happened? What what happened? You know better. You you grew up without violence. Uh, you know that that person is the opposite of your father. Your father is a good person, a good nonviolent. Uh, and then you're dating, or you had a child with the opposite of your dad, abusive verbally, physically, uh, maybe even sexually abusive, and and. We say at Also Safe, and and it, it mirrors what you just said, Julian. You have to keep it on the forefront of your mind that 
I deserve to be in a good relationship. I cannot let my guard down. I have to know what a good relationship constitutes, and I have to know what the warning signs are. Any warning sign that comes up that I learned, I have to walk away. I have to, I deserve to be in a good relationship, a relationship that my mother and father had, for example, for example. And yes, people can fall trap into violence if they don't keep their, their, their systems in check, if you will. Um, and, and yeah, trauma, uh, you could have, uh, no one has a smooth life. No one has a perfect life, but there are people that, that have a good support system. And yes, something happens, tragedy, maybe a suicide, somebody commits suicide in, 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 in the family or maybe a friend and it shakes you to your core. I had that. I, I, I know somebody that committed suicide and I, I am devastated by it. Um, and I come from violence. Um, so, uh, but you have to, like you said, make a choice not to resort to violence, not to resort to chaos, dysfunction, to abuse, um, to get therapy. There's no shame in getting help. There's shame in not getting help. Um, this is a constant practice. Like you said, it's something that you have to work on every single day. Like if you want to be a dancer, you got to get yourself into class. You want to be a mechanic, you got to work on cars consistently. You, you want to be um, a, a, a therapist, a doctor, uh, an engineer. You got to practice it. You want to be a nonviolent, especially if you come from violence. You have to make sure that you break the cycle and that you do not continue that behavior. Um, and yes, we could have tendencies. Everybody, everybody gets upset with their significant other. You're going to fight. You're going to disagree. You're going to have arguments. But it should never, ever, ever cross the line of abuse, of chaos, of dysfunction, of violence. You're going to fight. Yeah, you're going to slam doors. Maybe you're going to, you know, really take a fist and pound the table. That is a lot better than taking a fist to your partner, to your significant other. Um, things are going to upset you. And that's normal in relationships. We're not saying, oh, yes, everything is rosy and everything is perfect and you're never going to fight. No, we're not saying that at all, but it should never, ever, ever cross the line of abuse, of violence, especially for your kids if you have children. Um, so I hope I answered your question. Um, I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. Uh, uh, this is something that has to be practiced every day, every single day uh, in the family unit, even if you're single. Even if you're single, you're dating, you got to know those warning signs. Um, you have to know that you deserve to be in a good relationship, uh, that you that you should not be with someone that is abusive and 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 to be with on in therapy on a regular basis. It'll keep you in check and it'll, it'll keep you from it'll prevent you from going down the wrong path. Um uh, in a lot of ways, relationship-wise, friendship-wise, um, if you come from violence, therapy is a is a great tool, um, and and we teach this at Also Safe. So I hope I answered your question. Yes, I think that is the perfect uh, summary to um, to make it, you know, your final thought because I think you encompassed everything that. We, we need to do and, and, and need to pay attention to and we need to do for ourselves to not only be good human beings, but I think to recognize violence and anger and to hopefully be able to uh, sort of persuade others to seek help when help is needed in, in, in whatever way that is. So 
On that note, I'm going to thank you so much for joining me for this episode, uh, addressing work violence in the workplace and where you work and where you play. Um, I think that your information will help in a time when the world just seems to be becoming more and more violent. I think it will help others to look within themselves. I hope it does. And I think it will may help someone listening uh, to re- not only recognize the situation that they're in, but empower them to either help the person seek help or remove themselves from that situation. So thank you so much for joining me on 247 Real Talk. Thank you, Julian. Thank you for the opportunity. You're quite welcome. I want to say a very special thank you to my guest, Sabrina Oso, for her information and knowledge and and sharing of uh, empowerment for us as individuals in our behavior and for those who need to seek help to bring an end to the violence. I want to also make sure that I mention the current violence that's going on against Asian Americans that We all come together, not only Asian Americans, but against blacks, against any race or any type or any behavior, any person, anything that or anyone that's experiencing violence, we need to stop. I know that's a simple statement for a big problem, but in a world that we need to find more peace and more ways to work together, I hope that all of you who are listening to this episode make an extra effort to be a part of the solution and not the problem. I want to say a very special thank you to my audience as usual for supporting 247 Real Talk. I always remind you that you can listen to this episode and every episode on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to be a guest in the show or if you'd like to leave me a message, you can email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. Until the next time, do take care of yourselves and each other.